your host, KYT. This time joined by Brian Gottlieb and Robert Lombardi. Before we start, just a little shout out to our boys and girls at spacefacegames.com, the place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. How's it going, guys? Things are great, man. Happy to be here. Hope everyone had a good Easter in the First Strike Nation. Yeah, yeah. life's good. I had a relaxing weekend, ready to party. I wish we had some more information from Watsi, but <laughs> excited to get through with the new set nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've decided to uh, work on Friday, so I had today uh, off and felt really good to, to get a rest. Despite all that, it's been tough trying to dig for lots of information to talk about uh, for this episode because the, the week before the pre-release, it's everyone's like prep for for the pre-release that there's it's it's a slow news week right brian things are a little slow right now but we're still going to bring a plus content regardless of the uh the slowdown in the magic world yeah yeah so i think rob being queued for for the pt rob's looking forward to amicant's release so that he can finally prepare uh for the pt he just alluded we'll, we'll jump right into our first topic that he wish he knew more information about the bannings uh, because pre- uh, if there are going to be any, because in the previous set, we had the, the Bannings of Emrakul, uh, Smuggler's Copter, uh, Reflector Mage, and they did it during the week of the pre-release. So people, some people expected that there would be a Banning announcement sometime today. Uh, in the article, in the announcement last time, um, it was mentioned by Watsi that, like, they did it in advance before the pre-release in the interest of giving players the time and context to evaluate Aether Revolt accurately. We moved the date up by a week. So now there's speculation that there won't be any bannings because there, there's, there wasn't one today and they're going to do some announcement next week. But then I saw Rob had a little chat on Twitter with Trick Jarrett who said that there's going to be an article next Monday. What do you think about all this, Rob? Yeah, it's just, it's, Twitter seems to be ablaze for starters today about how they're not announcing anything, or I guess their stance currently is that they're not announcing anything until next week. But yeah, it's like, you know, it's pretty annoying, especially given that they set the precedence uh, last set that they want, you know, the players that are queued for the tour, or I guess just players in general, to have the most time to be able to think about what they're actually going to play with the new cards in the context of what standard is actually going to look like, right? So it doesn't actually benefit them to wait a week. So now all they've done is fill a bunch of people with some doubt about Cat actually getting banned, which is also kind of bad because, like, either way, there's a bad decision here on their part. They've either, um, like, shortened the week you get to do useful preparation by by delaying the announcement by seven days for, like, no real reason when, like, you know, last time they did it and it was fine. Or they chose not to ban Cat, which is also, I think, <laughs> probably the incorrect choice. So um, I'm kind of displeased uh, either way. Um, hopefully they've had, like, an internal meeting. Helen said that they're discussing it. Um, Blake said that they're discussing it internally. So hopefully they can kind of expedite their announcement and either give it to us tonight uh, during the show. That would be super peachy. Or at least tomorrow morning or something like that. Um, and then we can kind of like, you know, put our nose to the grindstone and figure out what this new standard format's going to look like and, and how we want to attack it. But right now, like, it's really useful to be doing any kind of testing. You can either assume that the cat is 
uh, not banned, and you can just try and build the best cat deck for the mirror. So I think it'll be, you know, like 80% cat decks at the PT. Um, or you can pretend like cat will be banned, and, and you know, if it, if it doesn't happen, then you kind of go back to the drawing board. But, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's annoying, but uh, they usually listen to feedback, so I'm hopeful that something useful will come of this discussion. It, it's been nice to see, uh, Brian, uh, credit to you for being ahead of the curve uh, when you did your switch, because we can see on MTG Goldfish right now that, indeed, yeah, Mardu, even though the easier-to-play aggro deck is now the second most popular deck in the metagame, even everyone has now adopted the, the cat combo deck as, as the number one deck. Um, what, what do you think about the lack of bannings, uh, Brian? Well, first I'll, I'll point out that I don't succeed at Magic because I'm good at the game. So I, I make the right deck selection. That's my forte. And that's, that's why I was able to kind of foresee that change coming. Um, but getting back to the bands, I guess I'm, I'm going to defend the current situation a little bit, despite the fact that I do agree with Rob, and this is creating a horrible situation. But the truth is we need to get back to normalcy. And so if this is going to be the date for bands going forward, you know, the... the Day, the day after the weekend of the pre-release, then we have to stick to that date. And I don't think it's the correct date. I think the date should certainly be, you know, today. This is when we should have found out the information because we did last time. As Rob said, there is no ill effects. Um, I think they're trying to avoid overshadowing the pre-release with talk of... I get that. I mean, it was a, a hot topic discussion at the last pre-release. I don't think it hurt either Revolt uh, the fact that there were bands before. I mean, it, it may have hurt it in a broader context, but it didn't hurt the actual release of the set. Um, but all of this comes from us getting kind of drawn away from normalcy over the past few months and, you know, strange happenings, just starting with standard bandings. That's a weird thing to happen. Um, and they happened at a weird time. And now it's created all these expectations. And, you know, like I said, I've said over and over and over, the side effect of these decisions is that we just talk about bands all the time now. We talk about bands on this show every single week. And it's like, we're not lazy. Like, we want to talk about the pressing issue. But this is the pressing issue and has been the pressing issue in Magic for an extended period of time now. And, and that's really the problem. So I understand why the decision wasn't moved up again. I don't think there is going to be bands. It's just like, what has happened in the interim that justifies a ban at this juncture. Like, they knew how long cat combo was going to be in standard. They knew it was one of the best possible options. And, like, nothing has really changed. I mean, I guess Magic Online results uh, a little bit are pointing to dominance. And, you know, the public perception has swayed a little bit towards thinking that cat combo is the best deck. But I, I just think, like, we, we knew we were in this situation going into the last ban and restricted announcement. People were clamoring for it then. Honestly, people were ready for it then. They were prepared for it. Um, so doing it now strikes me as a little strange, a little wishy-washy. I, I guess if, they, if Wizards has data where tournament, tournament attendance has plummeted over the last, like, month and a half since the ban announcement, and to a dramatic extent, because tournament attendance in this back end of a standard format or right before a rotation or addition, is always going to trail off anyway. Um, so it's not enough that numbers just went down a little bit. That's going to happen. But if numbers plummeted, then I think maybe there may have been some more discussion at Wizards being like, all right, now it's time to do something. But I, th I think the window for a ban has passed. I mean, I, I, once you pass that, that, that window was tailor-made to get rid of Cat Combo. That was the right spot to do it. Everyone was ready for it. I don't think the backlash would have been outstanding, but 
they've kind of just dug a hole a little deeper at this point if they're going to back away from it. And it's like, look, there, there's murmurings that there are not answers to cat combo in Amonkhet. People are saying your decks will lose to cat combo. All these sweet brews we've been talking about, all these sweet cards we've been talking about for weeks and weeks, they're going to lose to cat combo. That's what people are starting to say. Um, but you have to think that maybe Wizards has a glimmer of hope that someone will figure it out. And it only takes one person to get the answer, right? Only one person has to figure out how to completely shut down cat combo. And then their correct decision spirals throughout the format and totally changes things. So if that answer exists, and if one person is able to find it, we're right back in a healthy metagame. Um, but honestly, I don't think that's going to happen. And I think we're going to have problems for some time going forward. Um, but I, I don't think we're going to see a ban. So I, I just want to talk about why I think there's going to be a ban a little bit more. So Twin has been in Modern, which is like an equivalently powerful deck. Like Twin is obviously a more powerful deck, but it's like needs to be more powerful because it's in a more powerful format, right? So I think Twin is as powerful as like four colors. Twin is to Modern as four color is to Standard, right? And they don't want that combo in Modern. So now you have like a, a deck that's like, probably could compete in modern like as a tier three or two tech that you're like just have running rampant in standard um which is which is not good um and to your point about kind of like missing the window i think that they they wanted to really stretch out the perceived value in like the time you get to play with your cards since they were just like getting so ban happy um at the end of kaladesh right before Aetherful became legal, and they're like, okay, if we don't touch cat combo for three months, maybe the people that invested in that deck because they saw it, like, you know, on day zero, will be like, okay, yeah, we know it should be banned, but we got to play for it for, like, a whole standard season, so, like, I don't hate WotC anymore because they let me kind of, like, crush noobs for four months or three months or whatever. But, I mean, that deck is contained within Kaladesh, so if you don't ban it now then you're probably not going to ban it, which means we're going to have that stupid thing in standard for like 18 more months. And it's just like, not great. <laughs> but they knew that at the last window, right? It didn't just get into being contained in Kaladesh. They knew how long it was going to last. And your point to trying to appease people is fair, because I, I do think that's where they're thinking is that. But if you're the type of person who's getting really upset at Wizards over that decision, I want to say you're probably unappeasable in the long run. Like, eventually they'll do something to piss you off. They're, they're not going to keep you in their good graces forever. Um, I mean, so. that's, that's fair. I mean, I just, I, re I very much worry about them if they don't, because they don't have another opportunity before the PT unless they do an emergency, which I, I think they're trying to get away from. That's why they open the second window up. So if they don't do it now, I feel like if no one, if not, I, sorry, if at least one person on each team doesn't figure out how to very much beat uh, cat combo, or if like the decks that beat cat, the decks that beat the decks that beat cat combo end up just getting crushed by cat combo, then everyone just plays cat combo anyways. So then you just have this PT that's like fifty percent cat combo, and like they don't want that either. I, that's I think that's why they banned Twin and Summer Bloom at the last Modern PT, and how, why they were like, okay, no more Modern PTs. It's just like that uh, homogeneous. <laughs> Everything's the same at the PT. It's like not good. It's not good viewing experience, and it won't let the um, the Amonkhet card shine, which is also like very bad for them from like a marketing perspective. So I feel that that's why I feel like they're they're gonna correctly ban hammer the cat or Sahili, I guess, if, if they feel that's a better option um, to really like 
allow those those Amiket cards to be played in standard at the PT. Because if they're not played there, then they're not being showcased um, at the Pro Tour, which is like kind of the reason for the Pro Tour existing in the first place, right? Um, but I don't know. We'll see. It'll be they're going to set a very interesting precedent, <laughs> regardless of any decision they make. So um, I just want to know the info right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, will they? I mean, I don't think. I don't know. Presidents don't seem to exist for uh, too long uh, in, in the world of boxing. Um, Brian mentioned how we always talk about uh, bands on this show. We also talk about a lot of stuff. Like we, we got a good, some good feedback. Some people that messaged uh, the show even through the MattedPrive.com Facebook page and got a cool message from Evan Higgins. Been watching all for strike podcast you've been talking about cost to gps way too much no one cares it's like you need somebody to kill time so you put it on into the past six shows hopefully it's a finished topic but keep up the good hard work we appreciate it yeah we do talk about bands a lot we complain about uh mtgo too much and we definitely talk a lot about gp costs and how it's a hundred dollar plus and everything and i'm sure there's going to be some buzz once the uh, once I'm done and I reveal the GP Toronto website, possibly this Friday or early next week, uh, there will be some news on what we end up deciding for the registration packages. Um, Does that mean it's like one fifty to start? Two hundred dollars. I just signed up for GP Richmond. That was eighty five dollars. Do you guys want to talk about that for like forty five minutes? <laughs> Due to baller baller people like Brian Gottlieb, we've decided there's a market for two hundred dollars GPs. Uh, we will talk about that. We we do talk, although we, I feel sometimes we go on these shows where we complain a lot. What's really interesting to me, Rob, is that a lot of the changes we wish. Um, would happen since the first episode. Some of the changes did come to fruition, which is kind of crazy. And one of them is the the fact that MTGO is getting the set right away this Monday, right after the pre-release weekend. Are you excited about that? Yeah, like this is a very significant and positive change for MTGO. And uh, this is exactly what I think I predicted. I think Vince wanted it a little bit earlier. He thought it should be release um, at the same time as the paper set. And I kind of argued that uh, that would be detracting from people actually going into the LGS and playing. Um, so I think this is an early, like the earliest state that's actually feasible from like a not like, you know, not taking money out of the LGS pocket or whatever. So um, yeah, this is great. I'm going to play at the LGS anyway. So I'm, I'm, I'm fine hanging out with uh, people I don't see on a regular basis. I'm um, playing paper magic for the first couple days and then just kind of like, grinding through drafts on MTGO after it's released uh, all week. But yeah, this is just like so much better. And, and like you get your hands on the cards in Moto um, like right away as well, or like you're faster. So you can actually start playtesting uh, standard, like in kind of a free, I don't know what they call it, like free-for-all or anything goes type format where uh, the newer cards will be legal. Um, before they actually, you know, are properly legal in in standard the, the week after. So yeah, I don't know. All around, like very good change. Um, I don't think we can really get it any earlier. So uh, this is this should be the standard going forward, and I very much hope that they they're able to keep it this way. All right, I'm I'm excited. I assume Brian is. This is like sweet news for all us. Yeah. I mean, how could you not be? Especially for me, I know that 
in my past pro tour preparation, the thing I was always so frustrated about, I never felt like I had the time to play an appropriate amount of limited games. And that's, you know, I, I was not, never one to like go to a gaming house for two weeks before a pro tour and spend all my time grinding out drafts. I, I needed Modo. It was how I got my drafts in. And, you know, I, I'd do a draft here or there for additional practice, but Modo was the key. And you were always waiting. It felt like I can tell you that when you're qualified for a pro tour and waiting for the draft cues to come up, it feels like an eternity. Like you're sitting there counting the days, like, please let me draft this set. Um, so, yeah, this is one of the biggest gets for Magic Online in a long time. Um, I, and I, I think that, yeah, they nailed the sweet spot in terms of getting it out to the players as soon as possible and not hurting the LGSs because it's the pre-release that hits the LGS, right? It, it's not the release weekend. I mean, I, I know you'll still go for the release, but that's not the big event. The big event is the pre-release. They needed to preserve the pre-release. They have done so. I'm sure there'll still be release events. They'll still be attended just fine. You might lose a couple people who could play on Moto, but I, the, as long as the pre-release is held, I, I don't think they gave up anything by adding this kind of earlier date to Moto. So yeah, super excited. Can't wait to start drafting. I think before this topic, I, I, when it was brought up, I've never in, in the past couple of years just because I'm not a store, I work for one, but I never thought every time something Watsi came out, it would how it would affect the LGS. Um, and and like you guys said, like if this was like during the weekend, it w- it would definitely impact it. Um, how much I don't know, but I think it's definitely the way to go to have it on, on the Monday or even. I mean, before it was much longer than that, right? Even if it took a week, I would be happy. Before it was like a, a couple of weeks, so yeah. Getting it uh, on the Monday was actually probably earlier than we we expected, right, Rob? Like, yeah, I thought like because usually their um their change cycle is for the Wednesdays, so then pulling it actually to Monday and then having a a plan uh for how they're going to like react if there's bans or not bans, um how they're gonna like take it offline immediately on Monday if there's bans and like do the work that's required. I, I don't know what needs to be done there so that the systems are set up um for whatever the the post-ban standard looks like, or if there are no bans, they're just going to like kind of launch it uh, on time on Monday. It's just like, it's good. Like they're definitely thinking ahead uh, for this one. And I'm, I'm definitely very happy about how they're handling it. You know, you could also point to that for justification where people are talking about, we discussed previously how they're using the fact that there are no bans today as evidence that there won't be bans. But now with Magic Online in the picture, it has changed the equation a little bit and they, they have had to prepare and like have some pieces ready to move around. So that could certainly be another reason why they were hesitant to kind of pre-announce any bands that may be coming. Um, but yeah, still probably no bands. But I'm just trying to play, like, <laughs> here's a little bright spot. Um, they can at least yeah. announce it without uh, making it effective, right? Like, the fact sure, that we have the information doesn't mean that... No, you're, like- you're right. You're right. But uh, they, what I'm saying is they, they had to come up with a plan, they formulated a plan, they put it in place, and they don't want to deviate from that plan, which, like I said, is key as far as returning to normalcy again with all of this. So. That's fair. But, I mean, if we announced it today or any time before Monday, then, like, Lee's article would be like, we have all these contingencies because we don't actually, either we don't know what's going on or we don't want you to know what's going on. So instead, yeah, yeah. The set's live at 11 a.m. because we need to make appropriate changes for yeah, that. I mean, that goes back to the right date, like this being the correct date. It's the date yeah. they should have set. But having yeah. set another date, I think they just don't want to touch it anymore. They're just like, let's not, let's not play around with it for a little bit. Let's just let it sit and make some decisions in this context. And, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if at some point we ended up with this being the day for ban and restricted going forward. 
Yeah, I think it's correct. Whatever. Just rip the Band-Aid off, Watsy. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> Rob mentioned that he's going to play at uh, the LGS for the pre-releases. Brian, when's the last time you played in one? And do you plan to play one this weekend? I'm not going to play one this weekend. I, I honestly don't feel good when I play pre-releases. I, I, you know, it brings such a diverse array of skill levels. And I, I don't know. I just feel bad, like, kind of beating up on people who are there to really enjoy the set. Like, it was something, like, when I was playing them, I just won every time. And it, it, it's not even, like, I'm not saying I'm great. It's just the level of competition was not there. And I'd be like, oh, this pool's unplayable. And then easily, like, 5-0, and, like, take all the prizes and leave. And it's just like, I don't think these events are really for me. I think they're for kind of the broader magic community, at least in my area. Now things may differ from area to area. Uh, I know when I lived in Las Vegas, like pre-releases were hyper competitive and they were, you know, uh, large prize pools, but, and that was also a very long time ago. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't, I don't feel good. Like either, here's the two options, right? Like either I would go there and get smashed and be like, well, these scrubs beat me. And I would be cranky about that. Or I would go there and win and be like, oh, I don't feel good about that. There's no challenge in it. So I, I sit out the pre-releases now. Sometimes I'll go up, uh, a couple of my friends own a, an LGS. So sometimes I'll go up and just hang out a little bit. Um, but it's been at least two or three sets now where I haven't played the pre-release. Hmm. This, uh, this is perfect. Uh was my perfect seg into a Reddit question. It's like really high up there in the, in the top five. And I think it's interesting uh, that, you, that you mentioned a few of the things. And it's someone that had just learned, um, well, I'll just say the question is, will the pre-release be newbie friendly? I was introduced to Magic at the open house last week and I'm really enjoying it. I have some experience with other card games and feel I understand the flow of the game pretty well. It's a pre-release worth going to for someone like me. And uh, before we get into it, if you're going to play in the local LGS this weekend, say, say something in the chat. So I just want to get a feel of who's, who plans to go to play a pre-release in the real world of this weekend. Uh, but this question is interesting, and, and I do think that um, I've enjoyed myself in pre-releases, but there have been games uh, maybe similar to to brian's experience where i do play against players who basically learned the rules the day of so it could make for somewhat of a less than enjoyable experience for myself um what what are your thoughts rob since you play you seem to play at the lgs way more than than either of us that's fair (laughs) (laughs) i mean uh my lgs crowd is like pretty competitive um we've like uh our Regular like LGS group, a lot of people have made the PT or had successful appearances at, at GPs. So it, it's a pretty good game. At the pre-releases, definitely you get the people that like that's the only event they attend. They attend like four pre-releases a year, and they'll come in like randomly and buy some like a little bit of product. They'll buy dual decks or stuff like this, right? Um, I don't know. I, I, I taught at a college for a while, so I have a knack for for having lots of patience for people that are <laughs> learning new things that they find complicated. So I, I don't really mind someone that's like just learning the game, and I like obviously will be very very lenient on the rules with them, right? I'm not gonna like shark them, and if winning doesn't really matter, it's like not a, a huge concern. You're like already a super favorite <laughs> to win just because they're making lots of inefficient uh, moves. So there's no reason to take any other advantage. You just want them to have like a good experience losing to you, right? Like this is like really what you're trying to do. Like you do not want to. You don't want to like shun them from the game just by like 
kind of being a dick <laughs> when you're beating them. So I don't know. I, I, I don't mind. Uh, I don't get mad really when I lose to someone based on any like variance or like, I feel like they luck sack me or whatever. Like I, maybe I'll complain about it or something. Cause it's, you know, that that's what you do. But like some people get real tilt, tilted off. Right. I, I only tilt off if it's like, I made a series of plays where like, I definitely could have taken another line that would have ensured my victory and I like made a serious mistake, right? Just get like mad at myself for like being an idiot <laughs> and not seeing it. So uh, I think as long as you're not like one of those people that's like, oh, I lost to some scrub and then you start yelling at them and you start, you know, like just kind of being a dick around the table, like around them, yell, you know, just like going off to your friends about how you lost to some scrub. Like that's not really what you want as a pre-release, right? You just kind of want to build the community. So I don't know. I, I, I try to be nice to everyone. I try and help them out if they, ask for some advice about how they should build their deck. Like there's lots of people that are obviously making terrible decisions, like playing fog or playing 13 lands in a 40 card deck and have like a bunch of six and seven drops and stuff like this. Right. So just kind of like helping them out. Like some of these people are going to grow up to be good. Right. So you want them in the game because they're, they're going to make you better. So uh, that, that's really my goal of, of going and also getting my hands on sweet new cards is like not such a terrible fringe benefit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you think these are the best uh tournaments for like i'm reading some of these comments are like yes pre-releases are are basically designed for new players uh like when i have a friend asking me like if he should go i think i think my response is always depending on their level of of knowledge if they're just like if they don't even understand the rules that like if they just learned the day before or something, then it's, it's not something I necessarily would recommend, but maybe that's just me. There's like, so a lot of the LGSs have changed their price structures over the last year or two. And like our LGS has gone through a bunch of iterations. Um, or I guess like the major LGS in our area has gone over a lot of iterations about how to kind of please both like the competitive player and kind of like the, the casual or, or the, the newer player. And so their pricing structure now is like, there's, they implement pack per win but it's a little bit higher entry fee and it's three packs of the price pool per player, I think. And then whatever's left over after pack per win is like given to the person that XOs. And I think if you end up three, one, then you get like, I don't know, three or four packs or or something. You get a bonus pack or something like that. So if you three, one, you get, you get four packs or five packs. And if you XO, you'll end up with like 12 or whatever. So like for these people, like I I still think it's pretty good value. Like you, they still need to get cards. They're kind of like paying face value for the packs anyways, right? It's not like there's a huge markup on the pre-release event uh, itself. Um, And they're going to be around a bunch of people. So they like might, you know, you might meet people, right? Like if there's two newer players, they're both likely to be 0-2 at some point in the tournament. One of them's got to (laughs) win. So, I mean, they're going to be pretty happy about getting that extra pack, which they wouldn't have been able to get otherwise if they just come in and and like buy a couple boosters or whatever to to try and make a better... uh, deck like at the kitchen table or something like that and then who knows like they, they might meet someone that has the same casual interest in magic at that time and then you know they can play more and, and kind of get better that way right so like they have to walk in and be like if i don't excel i'm not <laughs> playing this game or whatever most most really like new players are like if they go one three they're like ecstatic it's like i won something i like i see it they're like oh my god i got a pack at this really this is insane i was like oh my god if I was, you know, if I had two runs like that, I'd be like out on pre-releases for like a year. <laughs> but I mean, different, you know, I, your skill level is going to um, 
make you happy for different reasons or whatever, right? You have different expectations. So they're just happy. They're going to buy packs anyways, and they got like a bonus pack. That's how they see it. So yeah, I, I definitely think it's good. And most of the people that end up going there, like if they're whatever, better or, or more, um, uh, less amateur, I guess, they'll, you know, if you ask them questions, they're going to help you, right? So if you say like, hey, you, like I kind of see you around a lot, you know, uh, can you take a look and see what I did? Like maybe you give me a couple tips here and there. Like most people will, you know, be straightforward with you and give you some good advice. So yeah, I, I definitely think it's useful. It's not like F and M's any better. <laughs> so I think the pre-release is the is the is the right venue. I think that you mentioned one of the stronger points is meeting the people, a higher chance of meeting people that are at the same level as you. I think that that is a major plus. And um, but uh, we we see people in chat mentioning how some, and I know some other stores have done it where they have different flights, like a competitive. Uh, sealed event, and then there's a more casual one with a more casual prize structure. Of course, that usually only works, and only worked in Montreal when it was just the one big regional pre-release, so there was enough people for you to have those separate uh, different tournaments. Can't do that anymore, I don't think. Maybe some LGS can in, in the US, or, or maybe even in Toronto if they're big enough. Definitely not going to happen in, in, in Montreal, uh, just because of the sheer number of stores we have. It's It's very segregated to to have enough people in separate flights would be super challenging, uh, in my opinion. I like to see actually um, uh, Watsi allow on the release weekend for like a regional TO to run an old school style PTQ like flight system. Because before, like I, I, you probably, or I don't know if you guys have this in your area, but in Toronto, um, the big whoever TO was running the the pre releases, they would just run like. 30 or $25 flights like all day long. And it was just like uh, 16, 12, 8 or something like that as the prices for like XO, X11 and uh, sorry, XO, X01 and X1. And then you would just like, you just run them all day long. And if you were running hot, you'd come home with like two or three boxes. And if you were running meh, you'd have like a half a box or something, right? But um, there's not really an opportunity for do that to do that now because they want like the pre-release in the LGS. But I think people still want that. Like, there's a lot of competitive players, and they were, like, really successful in, in years past. So I'd like to see them be able to bring that back, but, like, not, obviously, take away the pre-releases thunder. And from what I can see, the release event is, like, very lacking in interest. So I think it would be okay for them to, to kind of, like, run a regional or allow someone to run a regional event. Or maybe, like, a store can just do it. Like, I don't know. I'll, maybe I'll, I'll poke Kelly and be like, hey, you guys should be doing this. <laughs> Um, now moving on to, to still connected to the pre-release, I, I did want to talk about um, something that all three of us will probably not do, unless I'm underestimating Rob here. Uh, <laughs> Watsi always tries to come up with something, a little fun tweak uh, or ca more casual thing. They've done a bunch of these, uh, I guess, checklists or quests in previous pre-releases. For this one, because of the Egyptian flavor, They've called it the Five Trials of the Gods. If you complete the Five Trials of the Gods, uh, you get to claim some exclusive prizes. Uh, and the Five Trials, I'm just going to read them quickly. So there's the first one is the Trial of Solidarity. Bring a friend to a magic event at the local game store. Trial of Knowledge. Play in a standard format event at your local game store. Trial of Strength. Play in an Admonkent sealed event at your LGS. And Trial of Ambition, play in an Admin Kent in-store league at your LGS. And Trial of Zeal, play in an Admin Kent draft event at your LGS. 
Um, and you get, I guess, dice or or maybe some full basic lands from this. Um, I'm not sure. Like, I've never... I wonder how many people in chat have, have ever done and gone out of the way to do any of these quests. I really want to know, like, the casual uh, player's mind when it comes to these uh, checklist type of quests and whether they even know about them. Like, I don't know. Rob? I can't defend the checklist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I think people are interested in this. Like, certain kinds of people are there for, like, some sort of different experience. And they have, like, Watsi actually has a position called experience designer or something like that. And their job is, like, work on making these pre-releases have these, like, weird, stupid, questy things um, that people can get excited about and, like, do something outside of actually just the game. Like, you're, like, throwing dragon fire dice or whatever in, in Tarkir, and there's other kinds of weird things going on for, for Innistrad, I think. But, uh, yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, I have no interest in it. I obviously don't care about uh, any of these fancy promos or anything like that. Um, I wish they would put more effort into other things. I, I don't know, like, what the, the gain is versus, like, the cost and effort to implement this stuff. But if, like, the noob player is super excited about these things and it's the reason they come back, then cool, leave it as is. But it's, like, I feel like after you've been playing Magic for a year competitively, or maybe once you turn into a competitive player, this stuff is, like, completely irrelevant to you. And it's just, <laughs> it's just noise. <laughs> Brian's probably super into it, though. I can see I him mean. going. Hold Just to complete the quests. <laughs> Please don't make me talk about this, KYT. <laughs> Trial of trying. I'm trying to turn over a new leaf. I'm trying to be more friendly, more open to the commander community. But if you make me talk about the checklist at the pre-release, all the hate's going to come back up, and people are not going to like me again. Play the like commander me. event at your LGS. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this isn't for me. I, I, I'm a 34 year old man. I, I can't go to. It's bad enough that I'm going to Magic Terrence. Okay, like I'm already being judged by a portion of of my friends and family, um, and I've made peace with that. But if I'm going there to fill out my checklist, I don't think I'll have internal peace anymore. <laughs> so, um, if you know, this this goes into the fact that like I don't feel like pre-releases are for me. If people are, are into this and enjoying it, dude, go and go and enjoy it. I'm I'm happy you're enjoying it. When I was, you know, just getting started in magic, it's probably something I would have enjoyed, but I've, I've just moved past that now. So if, if it's contributing to having more players playing the game that I love, then I'm all for it. Keep doing it. Um, but it's, it's just not for me. So, To me, the challenge is I feel like, and maybe this falls under uh, the store's responsibility, I guess, that WASC uh, is giving them these tools. Because I feel, and, and maybe I'm out of touch, with the more casual new players, it's just that my issue with this is that I don't think the regular casual person knows about, like, that would do these uh, quests knows about them. And maybe it falls on the LGS shoulders on, on needing to push some of these more, I guess, obscure and irregular promotions uh, more upfront. Um, so I don't know. That's, that's how I feel. I just feel like no one, really knows about them and or or they arrive at the pre-release and saw like they see those cards from like whether it's cons i forget which pre-release it was and they they see these missions and they're like yeah whatever like i didn't know this existed but so this actually this reminds me of like back in the day when i used to manage a nightclub 
we worked with this one dude who was like a promoter and his promotions were so convoluted and complicated that like you basically needed to decipher exactly what was going on and no one engaged with them whatsoever. To him, they were like these awesome, really engaging ideas, but they were just, there's just too much to them. And there's, there's beauty and simplicity. Uh, and that's kind of where, that's what this sounds like to me. It's, it sounds like a little bit too much. Um, but like I said, it doesn't matter what I think. It's, it's not for me. And one of the things I think that's important as kind of, the carmogeny magic players is you can you can be a carmogen that's fine but don't hurt other people's enjoyment like if, if it's for them it's for them and recognize that like it, it's fine dude go there and do your quests if you want to do them but i don't know it seems like there's a better way to do this um, i actually think what they did for aether revolt which some stores did um not all stores it wasn't um again it's not something that i felt was super publicized by by any store in general at least not in my area was some sort of participated in this thing where if you played six standard events uh you would get a canopy vista or something and what this i actually knew about that (laughs) what this reminds me of brian is like i kind of like that it reminds me of like having like uh they're stealing like a starbucks card right come in coffee you play standard you play standard and then you get a reward and i think well, the fact that, I mean, the LGS itself could do this type of thing, but the fact that Watsi is sort of pushing for that and giving the prizes to these stores, yeah, that's, that's kind of interesting. I think that's, that type of thing is kind of cool. And if it was on a regular basis, so it's more known about in general, I think I'm all for it already. So enough, enough about this. We'll talk about something else we'll talk about. Um, We'll get into some of the new cards, but I did want to get uh, Rob and Brian's thoughts on one of the combos, two-card combos that uh, went nuts, I guess, on Twitter and in terms of how much the price of the card went up. Uh, Devoted Druid apparently at some point hit $6, and it's due to the fact that it combos with uh, the new Vizier of Remedies, Vizier of Remedies in... The new set is one white, one colorless, two one human cleric. If one or more minus one, minus one counters would be put on a creature you control. That many minus one, minus one counters, minus one are put on it instead. So effectively, you can get infinite mana if you have the Vizier and Devoted Druid in play. Brian's not buying this, though. No, not really. I mean, it's certainly powerful, right? Like two mana, or excuse me, two card infinite mana combo is, is pretty good. Um, but obviously this is not available in standard. This is available in modern. And when you cross over to modern, um, there's kind of a higher threshold you have to cross. These are two super fragile creatures, and one of them really has no purpose besides enabling the combo. Now, that being said, I recognize there's things like Court of Calling um, that can kind of supercharge finding the parts of this combo, and Devoted Druid just makes mana on its own. I mean, I remember playing... Uh, back in Old Extended, I played a lot with a Jun deck um, that had Necrotic Ooze and like kind of, there's a Grim Poppet in the deck and you could do all sorts of tricks with Necrotic Ooze and Devoted Druid. And Devoted Druid was just fine as a, a mana outlet. Like it was able to produce two mana in a turn. That's a really big deal. Um, ramping from uh, two to five mana on your next turn is, you know, a huge jump. Uh, but yeah, it just feels like those two cards are, are too fragile for modern uh i don't expect this to make any 
waves in the tournament scene. Perhaps it will be a EDH staple going forward, and we can all play it with uh, Rob pointed out uh, asceticism, which is uh, you know your your guys aren't going to get targeted anymore. There you go, you've you've locked up your combo win. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of fun things you can do with infinite mana and EDH. So I, I think that's where this this combo is headed to the EDH decks. <laughs> yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, I just talked to KOAT. I think the episode should be called from casual magic to the PT on this week's <laughs> But, uh, like, I don't know. I, I agree that this, like, if you can make infinite mana, it's powerful, right? You can, you know, kill your opponent, you know, pretty easily by casting Ember Cool or Blaze or, or whatever, some sort of fireball, bonfire or something like that. But, like, it's you need to get two cards in your graveyard uh, and a four drop in play. It's, like, not exactly that <laughs> easy. And, like, is that... Is it that much better than just like having Arcanus your graveyard or something, being able to draw three cards a turn? Like you're probably winning there too, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't think you need ooze for the new versions. Like that's just like a personal thing that I like. Um, but I, I think you can find better outlets for the infinite mana. Um, but like, yeah, like elves can make infinite mana pretty easily too, and it's just like yeah. not. This is not good enough, right? So, I mean, sometimes it gets there, but I don't think this deck is probably there. Yeah, I guess it also, you know, the more we talk about it and the more I see chat, someone mentioned Kitchen Finks. Um, I, I guess it is a replacement for, like, uh, Malaria, right? Like, it, it lets you do the combo, um, but it, it doesn't have the same upside. It should, right? Why wouldn't it? Because uh, should put a minus one, minus one counter on it. But it can't because of that thing, so you just sacrifice it over and over. Oh, you're talking about the two one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so in that context, now you're just you're replacing your malaria, which is fine. It's a card you wanted access to anyway. Um, obviously, you lose some of the upside against Infect, but that deck's kind of fading from the metagame. Um, and now you have another infinite combo to slot into your deck. Well, you're, you're starting to talk my language. That's, that's a little better. Um, so maybe more in that... more in the context of being a new enabler for that kind of combo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like it more than just saying the two-card infinite mana combo, and you're just getting that, that combo, you know, kind of like ancillarily, you're, you're slotting that into your already existing combo. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I don't know. I, modern is, there's more powerful things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of where I'm at on it as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be casting uh, Ancestral Recall for free. <laughs> <Modern>. <laughs> No reason to be messing around with this stuff. <laughs> I, I don't think any of us are uh, super finan- financial speculating gurus. Um, I know that uh, there's a lot of people that basically, once the set came out, bought hundreds of devoted druids and drove up the price. Do we care about these buyouts, or does this stuff affect you in any way, Brian? I mean, I, I guess if I decided I need the card and go buy it, it affects me, but. Um... Does it piss you off? Like No. Dude, I, I was a Wall Street lawyer. I was defending people who basically their job was to exploit the lower class by taking their money and putting it into investment, um, investment outlets. I mean, it's just kind of how it is. If you have money, you have investment opportunities, and it's always the little guy who wins. It happening on magic. In magic is happening on such a smaller scale that it happens every single day 
to every single one of us by big banks and big corporations. Not to get too political on first strike, but if you're concerned about magic speculation, you're kind of missing the big picture and what's going on with the global economy. So focus on the global economy a little bit. Then you can start being angry about what's going on in the world of magic finance. Yeah, I, I, uh, I also don't care too much about people uh, trying to make a buck. Like if the card is worth $6, if that's what the market deems the card, like if it becomes very good and the deck's insane, the card's going to go to $6 anyways, right? So you're, you're going to have to pay that. And if the deck's terrible, then that guy just spent a bunch of money uh, buying out a card that's going to float back down to whatever the new you know, floor is for it, which is probably going to be very close to where it was when he got it. So I, I don't know. I, I, I'm fine with the speculator speculating. Go, go, go nuts. <laughs> it's not a lock. I mean, you lose sometimes. Even buyouts lose sometimes. Uh, granted, for the most part, if you're orchestrating a well-organized buyout, you're probably going to win. And there's not a lot you can do about that. It's just kind of like, but in the same sense, if, if, if you're lending out money and charging interest for it, you're probably going to win. Like that's the way it works when you have access to money. You're able to use make more money. I'm sorry that capitalism has bestowed this upon us, but this is the reality of the world we live in. And yeah, it extends to magic too, guys. People still get to make these type of opportunities. It's yeah. unfortunate, but yeah, like these, these prices are going to increase anyways, right? If it if the card is real, so it's just buying out just speeds the process up. You now know that the card's worth six dollars instead of having to wait six months. <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna finish the the last portion of the show. Unless there's something we're missing on discussing some, getting these guys' thoughts on some of the cards that uh, were were spoiled now that the full spoiler is out, obviously. And we'll start off. And if you guys have any specific card you want us to talk about, just uh, type it in chat. So we'll start with Approach of the Second Sun. A seven mana sorcery, one white, six colorless. If Approach of the Second Sun was cast from your hand. And you've cast another spell named Approach of the Second Sun this game. You win the game. Otherwise, put Approach of the Second Sun into its owner's library, seventh from the top, and you gain seven life. Ryan, you think this card's got some legs? Yep, for sure. This is a cool card. Um, usually all win conditions are very, very bad. Um, you know, I actually just did a, a set review, uh, a constructed set review, which should be going up shortly. And I talk about this card at length and I compare it to things like Coalition Victory and Helix Pinnacle. And you're dealing with a whole different set of cards uh, in terms of Approach of the Second Sun. I mean, those, those cards ask you to play the game in a fundamentally different way. All this card asks you to do is cast it twice. That's it. I mean, I know that's a gross oversimplification, but now the game is only about casting this card two times and you will win 100% of the time. Um, and, and knowing that, you're able to change what your deck does so dramatically. Uh, I, if it wasn't for the cat combo, I would be super excited about control right now. And the reason being is that it's possible to build control decks with 20-plus cyclers. And what that means is you're able to just search for exactly the answer you need at any given time. And in that type of build, having access to a super, super self-contained win package, you don't have to play you know, kind of these half-measures, creatures which are... Um, vulnerable to your opponent's removal spells or, or depend on planeswalkers to win the game all you have to do is cast the spell twice so every single other card in your deck is designed to get you to the point where you're able to successfully cast this card and on the first cast you're gaining seven life i mean that's something that a control deck can use in, in many circumstances to get to the second cast um i like this card a lot i think it's a really um interesting take on the 
uh, alt win condition type card. And also the fact that people are talking about playing in Aetherworks Marvel and kind of like turboing into this win condition, like on, on your opponent's turn, you activate it, hit the first one on your turn, you hit, you activate your Marvel again and hit it the second time and win the game. Um, I don't, I don't know if that's good. I, I like, I like <laughs> it better in the context of a control deck where it's, it's just a small self-contained win the game package. Um, but yeah, man, I'm super excited to play uh, a deck that's just 20 cyclers, all answers, one copy of Approach of the Second Sun. Uh, as far as a way to win the game, it seems it seems really good to me. You're all on board, Rob. Yeah, I think this card should see some play in standard. Like Brian's right in that um, it's definitely could be a finisher to control deck. Like you saw, like the blue white do nothing control decks uh, from a few years ago. They were playing like one uh, Aetherling, I think the card was called, and like one Elixir of Immortality. Like, this is a card that would go into that deck if, like, an Aetherling-type card doesn't exist. I don't really think we have one like that in standard right now, like a Pearl-like Ancient or something like that, right? So it's, like, definitely going to win you the game, and, like, you can cast it for, like, some value that prolongs you you losing or dying or whatever, right? So I think the gaining seven likes is pretty relevant. I think that it is good in Marvel. I'm curious to see, like, how good... Um, like, the Marvel decks can very usually uh, trigger a Marvel activation twice. It's just whether or not this is better than Ulamog plus this is Renewal, or maybe you want, like, Ulamog plus this, and you're just, like, out on hardcasting Ulamog uh, with mana, right? Uh, I'm not sure if that's better. But I think, like, the potential's there, so um, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. But, like, yeah, this is probably one of the better, you know, alt-win conditions they've ever printed. So, uh... It's interesting. I don't know. Helix Pinnacle, Brian mentioned, you could use your infinite mana in modern. There you go. Cracked it. We solved it. So Go buy them all. Go buy them. Helix Pinnacles. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Let's jump to um, another card. We're going to go to the new Gideon. Double white, one colorless. For three loyalty, double white, one colorless. Uh, plus one, until your next turn, prevent all damage, target permanent with deal. Zero, until end of turn, Gideon of the Trials becomes a 4-4 human soldier creature with indestructible that's still a planeswalker. Prevent all damage that will, be dealt, that will be dealt on this turn. And the last one, zero, you get an emblem with as long as you control a Gideon planeswalker, you can't lose the game, your opponents can't win the game. How do you feel about this new Gideon, Rob? It's, inter- it's a very interesting card. Like, I think if Old Gideon... I'm not sure if it's actually better or worse that Old Gideon is still around in Standard. Um, from a control perspective, it's probably better because you're going to want to, like, play this Gideon as, like, the baby Jace and then actually, like, keep around good Gideon and get value from him and kind of prolong the game, uh, making two twos or, or, you know, beating down once you've fumigated or descend upon the Sinful or something like that in a control shell. Um, in, an, in an aggro shell, it, it does seem pretty good. Like, it's definitely blanks, you know, something on their side, the turn it comes down, and it's a pretty hard-hitting beater for three mana that's, uh, you know, it would be much better if it had that fifth point of toughness. But I think the white decks are going to be playing Always Watching now, so I think uh, it'll still be more than likely out of grasp range um, in, in the kind of the usual scenarios. So, yeah, I mean, I would be very surprised if this card isn't at least very good 
And when old Gideon rotates, it'll probably be like the premium white planeswalker um, of standard and it might even be the premium planeswalker of standard. I'll probably be competing with, uh, with Liliana. She seems pretty tight as well. Hmm. I think old Gideon's better right now though. Like in an aggro, an aggro deck, like if they're both seeing play at the same time, it's probably like a two, four split, something like that. Any, anything that you disagree with, Brian? Um, I, a little bit. I, I, I do think that old Gideon's better. We agree on that. Um, I don't know how much this card's going to play, be played in concert with old Gideon. I, I think this is a different kind of card. Um, and again, I talk about this at length in, in my constructive video review, but this has me most excited for its applications in standard control and in modern. Um, I, I think the icy manipulator effect of this Gideon, the fact that it hits planeswalkers, it hits um, vehicles, it, it hits creatures, being able to protect yourself from all of those things is awesome. Like that, That's huge versatility out of the effect. And forcing your opponent to overextend when you're playing a control deck and you have access to the white sweepers um, is going to net you some, some good results. Also, it's interesting that one thing that control decks historically have a problem with is early planeswalkers. Um, this Gideon gives you a way to pressure them very early. And that also plays into my analysis of another spot where this card is good, and, that, and that's in modern. And in decks like Ad Nauseam, that want the you-can't-lose-the-game effect. Um, I think that Ad Nauseam has historically struggled with Liliana. I, I do think this card is a little bit worse than Phyrexian on Life in most metagames, but I could see it being a fine sideboard option. Um, and in some metagames, it may even be better than Phyrexian on Life. And there's also the fact that this emblem in Modern is just going to close some decks out of the game. Some decks are going to have a very hard time dealing with the Gideon Planeswalker. And um, you can also think about, you know, certain combinations of cards like Leyline of Sanctity plus Gideon Planeswalkers. There, there's some decks that can't deal with that. Um, I, I think that if I understand the rules correctly, where loss of life happens, Gideon would be unaffected. Um, like, like you can't redirect loss of life to damage the Gideon. So if you played this in Legacy and ulted, you couldn't lose to Storm ever. I mean, I, I don't know if this card goes all the way back to Legacy, um, but it's interesting, and it, it has some really cool applications, and it's providing a very unique effect that some decks have already proven themselves in the market for in a new package, uh, and a unique package that answers some problems those decks have. Uh, so yeah, this is... I think it's the hallmark card of the set. It'll see a ton of play in standard. It's going to reach back into older formats a little bit. Um, but yeah, more Gideons. Did you guys see that someone made like an, uh, I guess a, a, a JPEG, and it was like it it replaced the Captain Crunch Crunch Berries, the Oops All Berries cereal, and they made it Oops All Gideons, and it's just pictures of Gideons all over the city cereal box. <laughs> I no. thought it was really funny. I, I mean, I guess that's the, the state of standard for a while. Oops, all Gideons. But uh, yeah, this is, this is a cool card. This will see a lot of play. What would you have, all Gideons or all cats? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess both. <laughs> that's, that's the optimal deck right now. Wow. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about all those uh, modern and, and legacy applications of this card. Um, this is very versatile in, in terms of its the, the unique effects that it has, and 
Of course, playing against the most recent Liliana, I've had some hands, even like blue-white flash, that just were really frustrated by the minus two, minus one effect, like just shutting down my smuggler's copters or reflector mage from being able to crew, and I just couldn't kill. Like Liliana had a good chance of just completely going off, um, getting tons of value just because it's plus one effect. And this one just completely shuts down all damage from, from a permanent. So pretty powerful stuff, and I think it's really legit. Uh, we'll move on to a uh, more aggressive card that uh, Brian obviously has already covered in his review once again, because it's white. Glory Bound Initiate. 3-1 three, three, for 2 mana. 1 white, 1 colorless. Human Warrior. You may exert Glory Bound Initiate as it attacks. When you do, it gets plus 1, plus 3. So it becomes a 4-4 four, four and gains lifelink until end of turn. Hmm. Is the exert uh, cost worth it, Rob? Well, I don't think you're going to be using the exert ability and it's going to be staying tapped too often. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's like flavor text on the card that just says <laughs> you have a 5-5 five, five Vigilance Lifelinker for 2 mana. I mean, this card is just so ridiculous with always watching that I think it makes the entire uh, White Weenie archetype come back. And I'm not sure if that deck's splashing uh, for, like, green or red or something like that at this point. Um, but I'm pretty sure it's, like, uh, some form of white human stack, um, and this card is kind of like the marquee, like Heart of Kieran type of uh, card in the deck, right? Um, it just beats down so hard uh, for two mana. Even just doing like two lifelink every other turn effectively, right? But it's like in, in chunks of four, it's still very good. And if they don't have anything to block with, you can just, you don't have to exert, you still get him for three. I mean, it's very easy to kill. Uh, which is, you know, a knock against it, but uh, it would just be, like, completely impressive if it was, like, a, you know, a 3-3 three, three, or a 1-3 to start that got plus 3, plus 1 or something stupid like that. But, yeah, I've, I've already started testing with this card, and when you play it and you cast Always Watching into anything that your opponent had that wasn't removal, they're basically dead. <laughs> you can't race it. It's just completely insane. It demands an immediate answer. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think this card's going to be good. I, I think you should expect to see a lot of it in standard, and I wouldn't be surprised if Always Watching's already done that quite a bit. <laughs> Brian, do you have the same evaluation? Buy Always Watching. Go buy all the Always Watching. That's, let's just turn into a spec, a spec podcast. We're just going to tell people what cards to buy all the time. And all of our recommendations are going to be horrible. I, I think we'll really corner the market on horrible recommendations. No, we should be okay. We don't have Doug on the podcast, so you won't tell oh, okay. people to go buy Tezzeret. No Tezzeret. Yeah, yeah. recommendation was... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, this is this is a good card. Uh, the only the only thing, my analysis is mostly the same in, as Rob's. I will say that I think life link is at a well, life gain is kind of at a historical low, um, just because board presence is such a big thing and games tend to be very snowbally. Obviously, there's an infinite damage combo, so the fact that you pick up ten life from this card is means a lot less than it would have in a lot of other formats. Especially, there's no like. There's no base red deck that's just trying to burn out your life total where that kind of life gain makes a dramatic difference. Um, but obviously, it's, it's, it's just kind of like icing on top, right? It's still a really good rate. And when you combine with always watching 5-5 five, five, <laughs> Vigilance, lifelink um, from your two-drop is pretty bonkers. So yeah, I, I, I do think that the White Humans deck got a lot of tools um, in, in this set. And it's going to see a lot more play than it was previously. 
Man, I always watching is already up 100%. By the way, so maybe you don't buy it. <laughs> Missed it. <laughs> if you're gonna play it, buy it, but don't don't buy it, buy it out. Yeah. <laughs> Man, just this is awesome. Just I, I just I haven't uh, read about this, and just hearing you guys uh, talk about it gets me really excited to play. Always watching for some reason, and a bunch of exert creatures. But then I hope. Are there other things that give my guys vigilance that are good cards in standard? Yeah, yeah, nope. Helia. Oh, no, they didn't print Helia. Sorry, they printed out Ketra. <laughs> my bad. Look, this card means that whoever's teaming with Craig Westo, Craig Westo for this PT is going to do very well. <laughs> like, they're going to figure it out. And I, I, uh, if I had to pick someone to win this PT, it's going to be Craig. <laughs> I mean, come on, come on, Rob. We're going to brew this neck. Yeah, well, I, but he's like the master, right? Like I. He'll put in like some cards that it's like I've already cut as being like this is never seen play. He's like got uh, as a two of, and it's just like oh yeah, that that makes sense, I guess. Um, so he knows he knows that archetype probably better than anyone on the planet, I would assume. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. I guess I'm overthinking it. Like this card is fine even without always watching. It's just like a three one if it trades, you're, you're happy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember being excited when Blade of the Six Pride was printed, which is just the three one vanilla guy. And we're like, wow, that's a that's a strong card that I'll definitely see play. I mean, that wasn't that long ago. I know I'm dating myself a little bit, but what was uh, what was Future Sight like? 2007, probably something like that. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, well, I guess I guess 10 years is kind of. But this, this guy's not. He's like way better than a three one, right? Yes. Because yes, like, he's way better. if if they have a uh, any blocker, you can just exert it, and then they're you're either abyssing them every other turn uh, and gaining four life, or you're just you know putting in an eight point life swing. So. It's still like very good, right? It's like much, much better than a two mana three one, and it's a yeah. human, which is insane because like yeah. Alias Lieutenant and other kind of cards like that are still legal, right? So, um, yeah, he's he's good. He is good. <laughs> yeah, fan of the show, uh, Cole Clark wanted us to talk about Ronus the Indomitable, which is the five five green god for one green two colorless. It's a god, 5-5, five, five, Death Touch, Indestructible, Ronus the Indomitable, can't attack or block unless you control another creature with power 4 or greater, and its ability uh, is a 1 green, 2 colorless, another target creature gets plus one, 2, plus 0, and gains trample until end of turn. Does this seem playable to you, Brian? Uh, if it is, I bet Brian Kibler is going to be playing it. I mean, this is just like the kind of card he loves, right? Like, you could see a red-green aggressive deck. Um, actually, uh, Zvi wrote about a red-green aggressive deck that he's been testing with over on Channel Fireball. Sorry, I don't know if we're supposed to plug other sets or not. But... It's fine, it's fine. Okay, he writes the article on Channel Fireball. Um, and, yeah, he's he's featuring this card prominently. I think this card is is good if the archetype is good. And Again, all of this discussion is kind of like, I, I, I even hate prefacing it with this, but I don't think any of these cards are actually good in the face of cat combo. Like all of the things we're talking about, I think all fade to cat combo. Um, but if that's not what you're concerned about, if for whatever reason the metagame shifts via ban or via um, just innovation, I could certainly see red-green aggressive decks based around this guy being very, very strong. Uh, you know, he, he's a big boy for three mana, so he'll get work done. Yeah, I definitely think this card is the real deal. Um, the green decks aren't going to have any issue making him being able to attack. So he's like a, what, a three mana 5-5 uh, five five or something like that with Death Touch? 
<laughs> and his ability, his ability is also just like great, right? Uh, being able to give your other fatties, like you're playing a deck with fatties, right? So being able to give your other fatties trample and a, a power boost for three minutes is definitely going to make it very annoying. Um, Can he give himself trample? No, it's another target. It's another target. Oh, okay, I was going to get real upset about the death touch trample interaction. <laughs> so it would be such so a good interaction. But I think like uh, there's probably a deck with like flame blade adept, which is like the the one two menace guy that gets plus one plus two when you discard a card. Him into like noose constrictor, into Ronus, into Hazaret, and then you just like get hellbent and smash them for a million. Um, that I think that's like twenty damage coming in on turn four. Uh, which is like that's a pretty good curve, and you get to play like Voltaic Brawler and some good removal um, as well. I'm not sure if there's any sweet cards that just like give your whole team trample, anyways. But I don't know, like insult to injury in a deck like that is just like also completely bonkers since all your creatures are uh, huge, so they basically get double strike for three mana, and then you get a removal spell like a, a Hungry Flames in your bin uh, for later. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think Red Green's probably got some potential. Uh, gets to play Manglehorn, right? Manglehorn and Shock. It can beat Sahili's no problem. <laughs> Prove it. Prove it. Man, Zvi's... Uh, license wasn't good enough. I don't think Shock was Manglehorn <laughs> good enough. <laughs> Zvi's list actually looks pretty pretty cool, Brian. It plays yeah, a- I think a lot of these decks look really cool. It's too bad they're all going to be terrible and lose all the time, but... Um, yeah... I, I don't, I don't know, know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it plays Lupine Prototype, the 5-5 five, five for yeah. two mana that can't attack yeah. a block unless a player has no cards in hand, which synergizes... Constrictor stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which synergizes with News Constrictor, so there's a ton of synergy in this deck. I feel like the Lupine Prototype is too deep, because you can get, like, <laughs> two mana four-powered creatures that are always great, and you don't have to, like, risk being hell-bent <laughs> to be able to attack or block. So like, but his I deck will like always minus... be hellbent. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yes. No. When you look at the deck, like his deck will always be hellbent. It has like the four three for two mana that you have to discard a card when it comes into play. Yeah. It's got a nice constrictor. It's got the god. It's got his deck will be hellbent all the time. But will it be hellbent on turn three? Like you want to play <laughs> Protect on turn two, right? I just, I would just rather play Voltaic Brawler. I think every time it's like. Very comparable, and just it's just good enough. It is still good enough. I don't think you need to go that deep. It's, it's a little too deep. There's plenty of there. <laughs> well, the, the problem with Voltaic Brawler, though, Voltaic Brawler will only be four toughness after it attacks, though, correct? Yeah, it's a four three trample when attacking. So then it's not turning on the god in that case. Ooh. That is true. That's fact. That's what it's turning on the god. Relax. Relax. <laughs> Don't worry. We have every card we possibly need. It'll all work out. I think Voltaic Brawl is probably like the only card that wouldn't turn it on. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It doesn't turn it on. But it's just so, it's so great. I don't know. <laughs> it hurts me. We'll see. We'll see where it ends up. But yeah, I think there's potential in red green. Uh, uh, I way, it'll end up losing to, to Sahili. So don't worry about it. <laughs> I love Rob that you mentioned a lot of cards that V has. Like, he has the full set of Manglehorn in the sideboard and two shocks. You have to. You have to. I mean, yeah. it's just like, he should probably have 15 cards versus Cat Combo at this point. And he's probably still an underdog, so it doesn't even matter. So maybe then you go back to zero. So yeah, the Manglehorns are, the Manglehorns are there for Mardu. They're, not, they're just for decoration on Sahili. <laughs> um, Dagger 4 mentioned uh, one card that was just interesting, that there's some... Minor complaints about, I guess it's Gate to the Afterlife. 
the three colorless artifact. Uh, whenever a non-token creature you control dies, you gain one life. And then you may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. So you get to loot if you have a non-creature who dies. And then its other ability is to pay two colors it, two colorless and tap it, sacrifice gate to the afterlife, search your graveyard hand and or library for a card named God Pharaoh's Gift and put it into the battlefield. If you search your library this way, shuffle it, activate this ability only if there are six or more creature cards in your graveyard. And uh, the some of the... If you go on any of these spoiler sites, a lot of the comments are like, what the heck is the God Pharaoh's gift card? Because it doesn't exist yet. And as we learned from, well, I learned from last episode, you just don't want to tease people with spoilers or (laughs) any new cards. So, but I guess it doesn't bother any of us, right? We're just going to wait till whenever this card comes out. Rob? Yeah, Yeah, I don't... I mean, they did this with Eye of Ugin or whatever, right? Before Eldrazi was a thing. Um, and that card just was, like, uh, very cheap until they realized that the Eldrazi are insane. And then that card went from, like, a dollar to $20 or whatever overnight or something like that. Um, I don't know, I don't more know, financial advice. From I don't know if this card's going to be like that. Uh, I assume that the God Pharaoh's Gift is probably going to be something pretty sweet. Since, like, you kind of have to jump through a little bit of hoops to activate this thing. And it's not like a great ability on it uh, by default for its mana cost. When I was rating it for limited, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize it had text that was kind of relevant <laughs> for starters. And I just gave it a straight F. It's like, it lets you loot when you draw. It's not like the worst. And I was like, oh, it does something other than just get this card that doesn't exist. <laughs> Whoops. I was like, yeah, yeah, D, D, D plus or something then. <laughs> My bad. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, I, think, I think there's some portion of the Magic community that likes cards like this where they can just spend the whole three months speculating on what this God Pharaoh's gift might be. And they'll try and like read through all the lore to kind of figure out, you know, I'm sure like there's going to be some story close to the release of the next set that talks about something that is going to be this card. And you can probably try and draw some conclusions based on on that, on what it might do, like whether it's a world slayer or something like that. I don't know if it's going to be a, an equipment or if it's going to be some sort of, maybe it's Emrakul. <laughs> She's back. That would be the ultimate troll. <laughs> we'll, we'll finish the show with, uh, we, we, I, I didn't realize like we could spend so much time just uh, talking about cards and, and definitely if you want a more in-depth uh, look at the cards. Brian is releasing his video, his constructed set reviews on the Man of Deprived channel. So, slowly, slowly so just su- subscribe to the channel, and you'll be keep up. You'll be up to date on all of those uh, colors that he's going to do. Um, for the last topic, we're just going to answer a question from the chat once again, which is: How do we feel about Arlen Cord now that it has a synergy with all of these exert cards? Start with uh, Brian. I don't know what Arlen Cord does. <laughs> like, well, that's, that's, how much Maybe that's why I was glad he started with you. I was like, good, now I can look okay. at it. I'll, I'll just read it. <laughs> Starts with, you get three loyalty for four mana. So it's red, green, and two colorless. It has two abilities. Plus one until end of turn up to one target creature gets plus two, plus two, and gains vigilance and haste. And okay. zero, Is that the part I need to know about? Uh, Zero, put up 2-2 two, two green wolf creature token into the battlefield, and you transform it. 
And the transform like does damage, right? It can kill a creature. The transform you can bolt something, or you can give your team plus one plus one and trample. Yeah, it's like a pseudo. It was basically like a pseudo hunt hunt master of the fells in a way. Yep. Yeah. 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 So the fact that I don't know offhand what this card does gives you my opinion on this card, and the fact that it's making a couple exert guys marginally better is is not enough for me. I, I've never. I don't think I've ever had this card played against me. I don't think I've ever considered playing it. Um, you know, the, the best deck for quite some time has been a deck that plays both red and green and also has access to Oath of Nyssa that fixes Planeswalkers, and no one has considered playing this card. Um, I, I just don't see anything that's changed now. Uh, yes, there's a combo there, but, I mean, the Exert guys are in red and white for the most part, and mostly in white. Um, so we're we talking about like a, a Naya aggro deck. That's not that's not going to be good enough based on what the format looks like now. Um, so yeah, continue to sell Arlen Cord, and I will again erase Arlen Cord from my memory banks because it's not <laughs> going to be useful to me going forward. Yeah, I can't I can't see a spot to even play this with you know. Hey, they have Heart of Kieran. I'm gonna play a three three playmaker yeah. make a two two guy. Like, it's pretty bad. Uh, Man, other creatures in the format are just too powerful these days, I guess. Rob? Yeah, the, the four drop and the five drop slot are very highly contested uh, in standard right now. Like the power level of the creatures is just off the charts. You have like two mana creatures or one mana creatures that are like technically better than Harlan Court, right? Like Toolcraft Exemplar, Scrappy Scrounger, Heart of Kieran. Like these cards are all just great. Uh, Glory Back Initiates. <laughs> so it's very hard to get this card in the deck. I mean, like, what are you cutting, right, to get this in your red-green deck? You're cutting Hazaret. Like, that's probably not feasible, right? Or you're cutting, like, Bristling Hydra or something, you know, to that effect. And I think just probably the resilience of those cards is, uh, is better. I mean, I think uh, it's possible that this card could see some sideboard play if a deck like, I don't know, Blue-White or Blue-Black Control become good. It's probably fine to bring out of the board and take out, like, some of your threats that are going to be, like, you know, just one-for-one one or, like, uh, a two-for-one for, for them against you. And then if they don't immediately kill it, then, like, they have to have instant speed removal for every threat that you play, and that kind of gets annoying uh, for them, especially if you're playing stuff like uh, gods that can beat down very hard. So, I don't know. It's not, like, the worst card ever. It's just doesn't really go up in loyalty a lot, and it's... Uh, very easy to kill with like an unlicensed disintegration or any random flyer like Heart of Kieran. So I think it's kind of keeping it keeping it out of the limelight, but it's close. Chandra's still a card too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> Chandra's also there. It's it's tough. It's tough. Maybe if like the if its uh backside was its front side, that would be a little bit different. Like if you can bolt the turn it comes down to play. Um, and then it flips and you can make a 2-2. That's, like, a lot better than making a 2-2 and then killing something to turn after that. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's just <laughs> on the outside. Not quite good enough. Okay, we got Felix C in the chat saying that his sleeper, his limited speaker, spoiler alert, if her <laughs> limit is Shafet Monitor, is that how you pronounce this thing? It's a 6-5 for 6, uh, one green, five colorless, it can cycle for four mana, one green and three colorless. When you cycle it, you can search your library for basic land card or a desert card 
put into the battlefield and then shuffle your library and he calls it the green glimmer of genius so for those of you who might might be looking at it for for uh when you open it up uh, friday at midnight or this weekend try it out let us know what you think i'll be excited for our next episode when some of us have gotten some games of atmon cat um i don't know if brian will break his rule of not playing too much magic we'll see <laughs> to solidify some of his thoughts i know rob will be playing i will likely be playing and we'll be bringing you a uh atmon cat packed episode next week we'll also have some on top of brian's constructed set reviews which will be available to, to everyone on the matter Prime channel we're going to have limited set reviews from Ra- rob and Di- dagger four that are going to be available exclusively to the first strike nation at least for the first couple of weeks so if you want to check out and support the podcast and join our exclusive facebook group and some of our exclusive content then go to patreon.com slash first strike we've been growing or sideboarding guides. I think we've got more than a couple now in the modern section that will continue. And now we'll add on to the, on, add on the limited content, limited rankings and, and set review from Robin Dagger for on top of that. So I'm excited to see that. And yeah, that's the show for this week. Shout outs to all our patrons and shout outs to people from our first strike nation. Derek Pite, as always, Adrian Murchison, Kyle Smirchik, and everyone else, everyone else, all or even everyone in our uh, First Strike Nation, and Isaiah also, Carrera. 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 I just closed the window by accident, so <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> but, uh, Mid-KYT in the FSN face. Facebook group. Let, let him have it for butchering your name. <laughs> I, I remember the other three off memory. For some reason, just closed it by accident when looking for the uh, Arlen Cord card that I also completely forgot. So, <laughs> apologies. And uh, we'll see you. We'll see you next week. Uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes, on YouTube, anywhere. Um, definitely one of the things that we 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 need more. We need more subs and. If you're watching this, please, and you're not subbing, come on. It's been 22 episodes now. So for, for Brian, Rob, and me, we'll see you next week. Ooh.